0: This podcast is brought to you by Kingdom at Work. Check out their interactive workshops, events, leadership coaching blog, and more at www.kingdomatwork.com or follow them on all major social media platforms. Kingdomatwork.com. Hey, thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him this afternoon. As you listen to us across the fruited plain today from Tampa to California on iHeartRadio and all over Florida on stations where you can find out where we're broadcasting in Florida, just go to iWorkForHim.com. We're streaming, and if you can see where the blinky red light is, you can find out where we're actually in your car on your, on your desktop radio, if you still have one, but streaming seven times a day on iWorkForHim.com, and of course, podcasted every day. But a shout-out to all of our friends that are listening, and thank you. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got suggestions of guests you'd like to hear us interview, people have great stories out there in the marketplace, pop us an email, jim at iworkforim.com, or call the listener line, 866-713-9675, 713 work You know, if you listen to other media folks out there, you'd think that all business is bad and that corporations are evil, It's amazing the ridiculous rhetoric that's played out there all day long. I I just get so tired of it. Corporations can't be evil. The people running them can be evil, but not the entity. They can't be evil. Now, business isn't bad or good. It's neutral. So where do we take that information? If we run a business and we're a Christ follower, at what point in time do we realize that when we consider the marketplace, that it's bigger than business, it's not all about what we sell, although if it is being bought, it must be necessary so it's about whose we are and how we sell it business was created by god for providing for people and enabling ministry and incredible conversations to be had about him each and every day it's the stories of god working in the marketplace those stories are transforming lives all over the globe today we talk with jeff holler he's a businessman from dallas texas and he decided to capture some of those incredible stories from the marketplace from leaders who understood that it's bigger then business, Jeff Holler. Welcome to I Work for Him.
1: Hi, good afternoon. It's a it's a pleasure to be here and and uh, be on with you. Thank you for having me.
0: I, I loved the book. You know, we got it from our good friend Darren Shearer from Highbridge Books. Darren's been on the show many times, and we were the last time at his house mooching food on our way through Houston, Texas. He goes, <laughs> Jim, I just published this great book. You need to interview this guy, and I'm like cool. What's it about? He goes, Oh, it's all about stories. Well, of course that resonated with me because we like to do stories all the time about people who are living out their faith in the work. Now I've never interviewed somebody who written a book about stories from all across the globe. And we're going to get to those in a minute. So Jeff, we ask this question of every first time guest on I work for him. How did you come to be a follower of Jesus?
1: Jim, that's a, that's a really, really great and important question for me because I was raised in a Christian family. I uh, was blessed to have a mother and father that, that both believed in Christ and took me to church. And, and I did the traditional Sunday school and youth groups and, and uh, studied the scriptures and, and, you know, got married, started a family and and uh, involved in church and started leading Sunday school classes and teaching Bible studies and, and thought I was really progressing as a Christian, really coming to, to know the scriptures. But... Um, I really wasn't a follower of Christ. What I was doing was taking Christ with me where I wanted to go. And I you know, and I thought that was being a good Christian by the way. I thought, hey, I'm in tune, I'm I'm praying, I'm i I'm, I'm planning and God's giving me these abilities and I'm gonna decide, you know, what's best and then yeah, you know, when I need him he'll help me. And uh that's kind of the way I approach everything and and we had a uh, family, um a, a couple of tragedies uh, occurred simultaneously. One of, our, uh, one of our daughters was involved in a serious car accident, and, mm-hmm. and we almost lost her. And, and there were a lot of issues associated with that that, that I had to, to manage at the time. And at the same time, my best friend and mentor in life passed away at a young age. And I had to help his wife you know, deal with all of that. And long story short, about six months later, um I started having, I guess, what could be described as a form of post-traumatic stress syndrome. I started having panic attacks, anxiety attacks, and which isn't good in my business, isn't good in any business. And, and um, you know, it knocked me to my knees. And, and, you know, one morning I was praying, pleading with God and trying to figure out, you know, what I need to do. I said, God, what are you trying to tell me? And he doesn't always speak to me this clearly, but at that time he did. And And what I understood immediately on my heart from the Holy Spirit was, he told me you need to give up control and you need to follow me. I'm quit taking me with you. I've got this great plan for you. I've got I've prepared a path for you. You need to follow me. And 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 so I committed to do that. And what I learned is it's not a one-time commitment. And it, for me, it's become <laughs> an, an every day, one day at a time commitment because I, I keep. Well, especially to grab that when wheel. you're dealing with
0: control. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're dealing with control issues. I don't have any idea what it means to have a control issue issue. But you know, for those of you that do struggle with control, you know, I I am totally being sarcastic and everybody that's listened to the show for the last five and a half years knows I am a complete control freak. So, uh, Jeff, I, I just love the fact that, that you just shared that, but I want to ask this question. So you're, you, you, you've learned how to daily submit to the Lord. Uh, and, and, but where did this idea for you to capture the stories of Christ in the marketplace from all over the world, where did that come from? Because that's kind of an unusual idea. I mean, we do it all over the country. We get to drive, and it's easy. But you flew to how many continents to meet people?
1: Uh, six different continents.
0: So what was wrong with Antarctica.
1: Um, no business owners. I, I wanted to, to interview business owners from, uh, every, con- well, It ended up being every continent on the globe and couldn't find a business owner in Antarctica.
0: Did you really uh, look, time. honestly, did you really look?
1: <laughs> I, I did some cursory checking, but, okay. uh, it, it <laughs> let me checking. know where, so I didn't invest a lot of time in it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. I'm just checking. So Jeff, at what point in time in your life did, did you make that connection between your faith and your work? At what point in time did you understand that you're calling to the marketplace? was just as significant as that of the call to the pulpit or to the foreign mission field? Uh,
1: another great question. So, so the scriptures started playing on my heart. And, and one scripture in particular, Colossians 3.17, it says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And, and so, you know, I just kept questioning and pondering, how, how can I serve God through my business? And and I was fortunate enough to to have a client who became a dear friend and a spiritual mentor and became one of the stories in the book, David Green, owner of Hobby Lobby Stores. And, you know, he helped me understand the concept of, of business as ministry that, that God created us, if, if we are truly where God created us to be, that that's where we're to be in ministry. Um, David's story was that, not to jump ahead, but um, he, he felt like for years, he was the black sheep of the family because he didn't go into ministry. All his family uh, became ministers, and he was a merchant, and he 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 felt a little bit disgraced by that. But what he came to realize is God created him to be a phenomenal merchant, and he could truly be in ministry, and his business could be his ministry. And, and once he realized that, he began to flourish. So, you know that that resonated with me, and so I started moving down that path of how can I make my business, my ministry, not only, not only the fruit it produces, but the tree itself.
0: So what you're saying is that your spiritual mentor was David Green from Hobby Lobby. He,
1: he was, he is one of my primary spiritual mentors, if not the <laughs> primary.
0: <laughs> you, you know, that's amazing. Uh, I mean, that's just amazing. And we're going to talk about the value of mentors later. But at that, what a privilege that was for you to learn from a guy who is as transparent as he can be, who hates crowds, but yet goes in front of crowds all the time. Uh, I've heard him speak. I've read his books. It's it's amazing. But what, what a great privilege that was.
1: It's it so, a tremendous he, privilege and still is today.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, because he's still running around the country telling people to be generous and teaching mm. them how to do it, being a living example. Uh, and we'll, we'll cover a little bit of his story a little bit later. All right, so... You run a company called the Capital Chart Room. What's its mission?
1: The mission is to to help bring clarity to to the complex choices our clients have, and then to help give them the confidence that every choice they're making is moving them closer to the outcomes they desire the most. So it's it's about helping them achieve their purpose, um, uh, both personally and through their business. We work solely with owners of large privately held businesses. That's that is our 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 market. um, And we we help them do those two things. And business owners are good at doing that in their business. But with all the personal planning, when you talk about the tax planning, the estate planning, the business continuity planning, the investments, the insurance, just all the other stuff, they they traditionally don't have a process to help them address that. So we developed a, a process trademarked it and use it to help our business owner clients do those two things, bring clarity to the complex choices they have and and then help them see and move toward the outcomes that they they desire the most through those choices.
0: It's interesting. Are you working with mainly high capacity people?
1: We are, yes.
0: Um, The the stewardship that they've been asked to, I mean, Jesus said, hey, it's easier for the rich man to enter or, or easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And people who are high capacity people, you a lot of struggles in life. There's a lot of responsibility with money. When we come back, we can touch on that a little bit. We're talking today with Jeff Holler. He wrote this book called Bigger Than Business, Real World Stories from Six Continents of Business Owners Living Their Purpose. Jeff, I, I just wanted to add that part to your book. You missed that part on the front cover. Maybe it was a, uh, somebody cut it out or something because there wasn't enough room. But the real world stories of from six continents, that, that part was missing. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to be funny, Jeff. It's okay.
1: Yeah, we we just had to fit the cover.
0: (laughs) Is that what it was? All right, I'll have to talk to your publisher about that one. All right. So you you talk. So you're dealing. I'm just want to. This is off track because it's not about your book. But I want to just ask the question because a lot of people give people of high capacity a lot of garbage about. um, Well, you got all this money. Well, you know, you're you don't have any problems. But it's the opposite is really true. People high capacity people. In my opinion, based on the life that I've lived—fifty-two and a half years—high-capacity people have a whole lot more problems than I do. How do you help them keep the faith and to keep grounded biblically to d- develop a lifestyle of generosity?
1: Jim, another great question, and it is more challenging, and it's 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 the complexity that was talking about in our process that, that we try and bring clarity to, but, you know, high capacity people, God doesn't look at high capacity people any different than, than anybody else. He wants their hearts just like he wants everybody else's heart. Um, the, the, the difference with the high capacity people that we work with is, um, especially the ones who God has their heart, they understand that to, to those who much is given, much is expected. And so they take, um, true responsibility and, and uh, around that charge of much is expected to them and they take it seriously that this is all for God and it's they're simply his stewards so um they work at it and and they we help them figure out you know how to fulfill their specific purpose that that God's given them how to be intentional uh, about helping them document and serve the higher purpose that they they know they're serving
0: so, how did this work that you've got at the Capital Chart Room and your work specifically with high capacity families, how did that lead you to writing this book? I mean, where's the connection? Where did, where did it come in and say, you know, I got to take off a year of my life to go travel around the world and capture stories?
1: Uh, uh, you, you know, it wasn't my idea, <laughs> frankly. Um, <laughs> I
0: get that. I understand the way God works. I get it.
1: Yeah, it. It. it he do that. I would never think of that on my own. I'm. I'm not that smart, and uh, I never really planned to write a book. I, I was having dinner one night with a, a dear friend of mine, Alan Sears, who was the founder of the Alliance Defending Freedom, and they're the the group in the United States that fights all the legal cases uh, for for religious liberty and sanctity of life and marriage and family. Um, and Alan's just a wonderful man and we are having dinner one night and and discussing business and ministry. And he, he said, Jeff, you know, there's a lot of theology about faith in the workplace and and books written about it. He said, but there aren't many books that give examples of actual people doing it, how they do it and why they do it. And, and you ought to write that book. And and I looked at him and I, I, I said, I will, I will never write a book. And, and he looked at me the shock on his face. He said, why do you say that? And I so I love to write, and I love to read. I'm just very slow and deliberate, and I'm afraid it'll take me forever, and I just have never really had that interest. And he said, Jeff, I really feel like, and I don't say this very often, but the Holy Spirit is, is compelling me to encourage you to write this book. And so, um, you know, I'd, I'd really like to encourage you to do it. And I said, Alan, it must be indigestion, because I'm not writing a book. And, and um, <laughs> so that was, that was, Jim, that was my first mistake, is saying never.
0: Oh, and yeah, second, I know how that goes down.
1: Yeah, and the second mistake was Alan. Alan said, "You know, will you pray about it?" And and he knew he had me there because he knows I, one of the few things I'm good at is praying. And so um, I said, Yeah, "It's Alan, amazing it. when uh, yeah. somebody's
0: got you with the prayer thing. Yeah, it, it's and, an incredible I, thing."
1: Hey, we're talking said, with yeah, Jeff Holler. Yeah. yeah,
0: i was just gonna recap. Amen. Let everybody know who we're talking to. We're talking with Jeff Holler. He's written his book, Bigger Than Business, Bigger Than Business. You can get a copy of it. We're going to give away a copy on the air today, uh, 866-713-9675. But you can also get a copy. Where can they get copies of your book, Jeff?
1: Um, at, uh, you can get them at Amazon.com. You can get them. We have a website, which people, uh, your guests may find interesting, www.biggerthanbusiness.com. It's just the, the title of the book, .com biggerthanbusiness.com. dot com. It's available in hard hardback and paperback on uh, at the website, and also on Amazon. It's also available on Kindle and also on Audible. So there's any way anybody likes to read, they they can get it.
0: Okay, so we know why you decided to write the book because you told the Lord no, and He said, "Wait a minute, but I just told this guy to say the word Holy Spirit, and you said never." So I don't ever like to be told never and no. So God got you to rate this book. All right. So did you, who told you all, I mean, how did you find all these stories? Because you got them from six continents out of seven, which again, we talked on the phone before the show. I would, I I get the same struggle. I can't find a radio station to broadcast in Antarctica, but once I can, I will. Uh, I mean, (laughs) how did you gather a business
1: owner? I'll listen to you down there.
0: (laughs) That's good. How did you gather these stories? Did you travel to each one of these places?
1: Uh, yes. And first, I networked. The only story I knew that, that had to be in the book was David Green's Hobby Lobby, because I I knew a lot of the details and just knew it was a perfect story. and and God led me to all the rest. I just started connecting with people. I prayed about it when I agreed, you know, in prayer, through prayer with God to write the book. I said, "Okay, God, it's your book. I'm the vessel. You know, I need your help. I, I don't know anything about writing a book and I certainly don't know everybody that's going to be in it." So, he led me to people who led me to people who led me to the subjects. And uh, I never intended for it to be global, Jim. I I really was just thinking of the United States and Somebody led me to a story in, in Brazil, and and uh, it was a phenomenal story. So I decided to go there, down to Brazil, and interview Georgie Nishimura, and, and his story is incredible. And I had been to Africa on a mission trip the year before to Rwanda and, and had met a woman who survived the genocide, and I knew her story would be incredible. So I decided to go there, and, and then somebody introduced the gentleman to me, Dr. Soparno in Indonesia um, whose story is incredible. And, and I, uh, ended up going there. So I thought, well, hold it. I've already got four of the six. I might as well get four of the seven. I might as well get the rest. And so I ended up, God led me to make it a global book. It was not by plan. It was simply by God's goodness and grace that, that it ended up being that way. But what was powerful about the fact it's global is this movement of, of marketplace leaders, uh, business owners and executives in the marketplace that want to bring God back into the marketplace. Um it's a global movement. Marketplace mm-hmm. leaders, Christian marketplace leaders are beginning to understand that we can have a powerful impact on on the reformation of the world and bringing the world back to Christ and and well, so it's I want it, I want to interrupt you there for a second. North but, North
0: I, I want to interrupt you for a second because you know you talked about um business owners and executives but I will tell you That the Lord, you're right in that the Lord is absolutely rising up people across the globe in their workplaces and helping them recognize that their calling, no matter what they do each and every day, is a high calling. And it's not a lesser secondary calling in the kingdom under pastor and missionary. It is exactly the same kind of calling. It's a high calling. But yet it is at every level of the organizational chart because we have interviewed people from every layer and It is amazing how many people are being just prompted from their heart that their work matters to God.
1: You you know, you asked me earlier um, when I made the connection between, you know, my work and my faith and bringing the two together. You know, part of that was I came to realize that God created me for a purpose, for His purpose. And my business, I love my business. I love what I'm doing and that, that passion is all because it's it's what God created me to do. He created me to be right here doing exactly what I'm doing and and to serve him here. And and that's when the, the light really came on and I said, Okay, I get it. You know, I can be in ministry right where I am, so let's go. Let's figure out how to do it.
0: And it's such a great privilege. Okay, so I wanna I wanna talk about some of these stories, but we only have a couple minutes left in this segment, so I wanna save the stories when we come back. But talk to me about the value of a spiritual mentor in your life, how that played into you growing in your faith. You got a couple minutes to talk about this. Why Why should everybody have a spiritual mentor in their life?
1: Well, Jim, it it, it just meant everything, and it, it's it's amazing. From two perspectives, one, uh, David, we'd have con- we and we still meet and have lunch and have conversations. But we'd have conversations, and amazingly, he would speak to things that I was pondering in my heart, um, whether I probed him or not. And then I would ask him questions and about how he why he believed certain things and how he believed them, and he would, he would explain them to me. And, and, and not only did we have the dialogue and the conversation, but more importantly, I got to see how he applied those things in his life. And that, to me, was, was the most valuable. I got to see how he applied all the things we talked about and shared to every aspect of his life, his, his business, his family, personally, spiritually, everything. And seeing that, how all the dots of his faith connected in every aspect of his life um, just made all the difference in the world and, and really helped shape who I am today from a, a spiritual perspective.
0: When you look, so you were mentored and, and the part of the deal is that as Christ followers, we desperately need to be investing our lives into the next generation, the generations that come after us. Are you involved in mentoring other younger men?
1: Yes, I am. Um, I've got a number of young men who I, I mentor. I've got a couple in Africa actually that, that, uh, Skype with once a month that that I mentor Um, from all those perspectives I mentioned with David Green and then then here um, in the United States I also have have several that I mentor and work with as well and uh, it's very rewarding to do that
0: I love that I love that. all right when we come back lots more with Jeff Holler talking about his book bigger than business real-world stories of business owners living their purpose out on six continents So we're really going to – we're about ready to span the globe. No, we're not going to get all the way down to Antarctica. And Martha's going to listen to the show today and go, Jim, would you just let the Antarctica thing go? But people – People are going to live there one day and I want to make sure there's a radio station there so that guys like me and Jeff can go down there and talk to business people. So, um, the ice is melting and it's growing somewhere else. Let's go build some businesses in Antarctica. All right. So Jeff Holler's the guy. You can get a copy of his book at biggerthanbusiness.com. Biggerthanbusiness.com. We're about ready to hear stories from six continents. Jeff, uh, just to recap for people listening, when you read the, when, when people read this book, when they get a copy of this book, it's emotional because you got you capture some very emotional stories. Certainly, the one from uh, Rwanda is absolutely probably the, the the genocide there. Capturing that story was was a little that was a hard one. I, I that story just is staggering to me. What are the top three takeaways you want our listeners to get when they read these stories? What are you looking for people to take away?
1: I think the top three, uh, Jim, again, another great question is, I I want the readers to gain clarity about what it means for them personally to live their God-given purpose, to really contemplate, to see these examples of other people and apply those examples, and also the contemplation questions at the end of each chapter, and to, to, to apply that to their own life and think, and and gain greater clarity about what it means to live their God-given purpose. That's number one. Number two, I want each reader to become more confident that if they truly believe God's got them where they're supposed to be, that they can serve God right where they are, no matter what they do, no matter who they are, no matter what their socioeconomic situation is, they can serve God right where they are because God created them. Uh, to be where they are. If if somebody's not where they feel like God needs them to be, I'd encourage them to get there as quickly as possible, um, because life's short. Um, and then, and three, I th- I think that I'd like each life reader. Treaters. I think what each reader get out of is to um, uh, the, to deepen their commitment to turn over control of their life to Jesus Christ, because uh, they'll learn that that God's created this amazing plan and path. Path for us, and if we follow him, he'll take us places we could never imagine. It's not always easy, but um, the outcome is always wonderful if it if it serves Christ and bring others and will bring others to Christ. So those are the three main things.
0: Mm. And the stories that you highlight are. are... They're, they're just huge stories. So I only picked four that I want to talk about today. And I'm going to ask you, I want to know which one impacted you the most personally. But first, I want you to just, let's tell some of these stories. So, I mean, you pick stories from Dallas to Rwanda, Germany to Memphis, Oklahoma City to Australia. Let's talk about, let's start off with Rasa Floors. That's right there in Texas. A story written, it's story really written by adultery. Adultery really defines the story of Rasa Floors. And it might be, is it Rasa or Rasa
1: Rasa. You Rasa got Flores, right.
0: okay. So it's really defined by adultery, but it's redeemed by God. Tell us the story of Rasa Flores.
1: Yeah, it, it's a wonderful story. And, and the, the, the name of the story is Rising from Ashes. And it's it's a story about uh, a man and a woman who, who both had very difficult childhoods, uh, extremely difficult. And the paths they ended up on, which were ultimately self-destructive, and they came together and... and um, uh, Got involved in adultery, and I don't want to give give away the entire story. But the heart of the story is uh, they they let their their past and their definition their their the worldly ideas of success and fulfillment um, basically burn them to ashes. And but it was the grace of God that helped them rise from the ashes. And and the heart of the story is not that how they found Christ and and and. Uh, how they live their faith today, but that they truly um, believe and accepted God's grace, and the, the shame and the guilt that they they felt from their sin, that God has truly they've allowed God to take that away, and they've really become new people in Christ. And how they now can serve Him uh, in the marketplace—it's just an incredible story. Because you know, we all we all have fallen to sin, and a lot of times, uh, people I counsel and mentor. A lot of times, we'll say, "Well, I understand where God can forgive other people, but I just don't believe you know I've, I've, my sin's just too great." And their story is an example of no sin's too great; that the grace is there, and and they accepted it, and it's totally changed their lives. and And I hope that that everybody who uh, reads it can understand and, and the, the the beauty of grace and accept it.
0: Well, that story about Rasa Flores that has been repeated, unfortunately. Thousands of times over around the country and I'm sure around the world where a a, a a couple of people, they self-destructed by having an inner office affair, not any affair, but it destroyed everything. But it is often the case that when we get to the end of our rope, screaming, kicking and just gasping for air that we realize that God's been holding on his rope all along. M- my favorite part of that story the fact that they reconciled with the former spouse, that they can actually talk, that there's that there is not vehement retribution happening between them, and that even though it's not the way God had intended it to be, that that they've learned how to walk together in the Lord. I just think it's amazing.
1: Yeah, they sought forgiveness from their spouses, and and yeah, you know, the the other thing, and, and all the stories. One thing I want to mention about every single story is the the, the tellers of the story are totally transparent. They share very openly all their difficulties um, it, these are not stories of Christians wearing rose-colored glasses saying the life is rosy everything's great um, you know because I came to faith I have had all this success everybody shares the, the problems the challenges the, the opportunities they had to compromise and in many cases like the Rosses, the sin that they incurred and and you know just one example of, of, of what you just shared and how important it was to reconcile with their spouses and their children because their friends when they were contemplating they were both married when they had this affair to other people and had children and when they they're close friends, um, when they were confiding in them, they were saying, "You need to be happy. You know, don't worry. Kids are resilient. They'll be okay." Mm. Well, what they learned is nobody was okay. There was tons of collateral damage. There were all sorts of problems, and and um, it could have all been prevented. So they and kids they-
0: do are not resilient. There's the other thing we've heard that Martha and I do marriage mentoring on the side just for fun. It's our hobby. We love feeding in other couples, and we have heard couples say, "Ah, oh, the kids are resilient. They'll make it." And the answer is. No, we work with 30 and 40 year old kids whose parents got divorced 30 years ago and they're still struggling. So, yeah. you know, it just it's just it's a lie of the enemy.
1: It's a twist. It, it is. It absolutely is. And they 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 realize that. And so how how they've used God's grace to, to find forgiveness and healing for their whole family is a really important part of the story.
0: And they shared it with the people that worked for them, too. I mean, the employees have all lived through this and they know the story. They don't hide the story. Uh, it's got to be amazing that must be impacting the community around them because that that's just not the way this normally works out
1: yeah no and and in our company and in my family we 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 have a saying that all progress begins with telling the truth and they realized <laughs> that they had to, they had to tell the truth and come clean and uh and, and they had to hold themselves accountable uh for what they were committing to because they knew that it was not going to be easy to to fulfill what they were committing to but they wanted everybody to know so they could be held accountable
0: All progress begins with telling the truth. Hmm. Love that. Another tweetable tweet right here on iWorkframe (laughs) from Jeff Holler, who wrote this book, Bigger Than Business. Love for you to get a copy of that, biggerthanbusiness.com, biggerthanbusiness.com. We are going to give away one copy today on the air, 866-713-9675. That's the iWorkframe listener line, 866-713-9675. That's 866-713-WORK. Okay, well, let's... Travel over to Memphis, Tennessee, then to another uh, to a famous guy, Alan Barnhart, the Barnhart brothers who run Barnhart Crane, and I mean this is I've never gotten an interview, Mr. Barnhart yet. This story, his story, is renowned. But why don't you why don't you tell us this story of contentment and generosity that is defining Barnhart Crane?
1: Well, the Alan Barnhart uh, is the, he and his brother owners of Barnhart Crane and Rigging. And the title of the chapter is Contentment, Yes and No. And the yes and no is really important because the contentment is all about being content with what they have. But the no is about never being content that they can't do more for Christ and that they can't do more through their business to serve Christ. So, no matter where they are in in, in life and what they they have they 've learned to be content with that but' they're, if, if for anything they can control and do better and excel at and serve christ better they 're never content they they always want to do more and and so that 's that 's the title of the chapter they they basically um, their parents started the business and when uh, Alan was right out of college, he was trained as an engineer, and he was getting ready to go into the engineering field. and Really wanted to go in the mission field. thought he would end up being in the Middle East somewhere, actually under the cover of being an engineer, and and bringing people of other faith, Muslims particularly, to to Christ. and And he and his wife were were really excited about doing that. And his parents said, "We're one day said we're getting out of the business. You can buy it, or we'll sell it." and And so he started praying about that. And he and his brother decided to to buy the business and, and, uh, you know, take it to the next level. But before they did, they committed. They said, you know, they were worried about falling in love with money. And Alan had studied every scripture in the Bible as a young man in college uh, about money and about how the love of money can be a problem. And so they decided... (laughs) Biggest understatement on
0: the air today by Jeff Holler, (laughs) the love of money can be a problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's an obvious one. Um, so, you know, they committed to pay themselves what a middle level executive would earn in, in most companies and to give everything else away. And so the story tells how the very first year they turned a profit and they, they gave, they gave it all away and they kept doing that every year. And now they're giving millions upon millions away. And actually they've given the company away. The company is owned by a foundation that, that, uh, serves who's – whose, um, Plan is to serve charities, and all half the profits go back into the company and the company's people, and the other half go into the foundation to um, fund all the ministries that they support. And they they still live at the lifestyle of a middle level executive there if If I told you their salary uh it, it would blow everybody away it's in the book, and I would encourage everybody to read it and They drive common sedans and um they're just very content with their lifestyle and well, I mean, and to be the
0: fact that they started that from the beginning, and I love the way they said, well, they just kind of pulled everybody in their small group and said, "Okay, what's everybody else making? Okay, there you go that's going to be our salary and and, and the fact we're talking now. Hundreds of millions of dollars of an organization today, and these guys are still living conservatively. You could walk down the street next to them, you'd never know they were worth billions, billions, millions and millions. So I, I love that story. we going got a couple more. We're going to go to Rwanda next when we come back from the break. This story, uh, it's staggering. And if you if you've not But if you're not familiar with that story, I'll let Jeff Jeff tell you a little bit about it. It's a a devastating story, but it's a story of a country in reconciliation. You listen to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg, and we're talking with Jeff Holler about his his book, Bigger Than Business. It's real world stories from six continents of Christ followers living out their faith in their work. And the next one's going to blow your mind. But many of you I'm I'm getting emails and texts and phone calls saying, "Hey, where's Martha? We miss Martha. Hey, we gave her the day off. does not everybody get deserve deserve a day off? You'll get to hear her on Monday. Just give her the Friday off. It's okay." All right. So, Jeff Holler, let's talk let's go to Rwanda. I'm not sure I can pronounce the name of this company, but I'm going to try it. Amahoro Ava. I can't go after. That. It's a cooperative. How is it all pronounced?
1: Uh, you you got it. Uh, you, you got exactly Amahoro uh, uh, sewing cooperative is basically the name of the business.
0: Oh, okay. Talk, talk to about, talk to about Rwanda, give us a little history on Rwanda and how this business is impacting people in Rwanda for Christ.
1: R- Rwanda. It, it, and I don't know if your, your listeners remember, but between uh, April 6 and July 15th, 1994, um, what, 24 years ago, um, there was a genocide in Rwanda, and the um, controlling uh, group decided to that the only way they could no longer be threatened that their control could be threatened would be to 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 wipe out the the uh, other group in their country and uh, there 's a lot of history I go into it in the book about what caused that it it all had to do with the um, the African countries wanting their own independence and moving from colonial, colonialism to being independent, and, and you know how a lot of other countries manipulated a lot of the uh, the people there. But regardless, that they entered into a genocide, and in, in approximately three months, almost a million people were murdered, and and not murdered with with automatic weapons or handguns. Murdered mostly with clubs and machetes and shovels. It was it was a brutal horrible genocide. And by the way, it could have been prevented. There was a general with the United Nations that made the United Nations aware. It, it, he got advance notice. And he said, if you'll just send me X number of troops, and it was a small number, he said I could prevent it. And the world didn't step in and, and help prevent it. It was a, a very sad thing. And and so Rwanda became um, probably one of the most downtrodden countries in the world At, at the, after that. I mean, everything was wiped out. The the The, the, the perpetrators of the genocide, once it was coming to an end, and um, the group of uh, Rwandan exiles that came back into the country to take the country away from the, the perpetrators, uh, once they started coming back in and winning that battle, the perpetrators fled the country and they took everything with them. So Rwanda had nothing. It was broken. It was broke. It was broken. Um, and most of the men were killed. Families were were murdered. And the the subject of our story, uh, Grace, Niria Barinda, um, was her family was wiped out in the genocide as well. And she um, almost died a couple of times. It's by God's grace that she lived. Um, actually, there's a time in the story where she says she just wished she would buy the bullet to, to kill her, to put her out of her misery. And as a result of the genocide, her heart became hard. She became bitter. She was full of hate and anger uh, for what happened and wanted nothing to do with God. Um, was totally uh, against God, and it's a story not only of grace but of the country. Um, the leadership came in, and they decided: we, we, the only way we can we can turn this country around is is through forgiveness and a faith based model, a Christian faith based model through forgiveness reconciliation, and a hope for the future. And, and I touch on how they're doing that in the book. But the, the, the leadership has embraced that, and it, it, they're 100% anti-corruption in Rwanda. Um, no tolerance for corruption. It is now the, one of the model countries, if not the model country for Africa, just 24 years after the genocide. Um, it, it's amazing and incredible what they've accomplished, but it's been accomplished because they approached it from a faith perspective a Christian faith perspective and they they knew they had to start with forgiveness and so they did things to to bring this forgiveness about and then they knew they had to re- have reconciliation so they created programs for reconciliation and now all that together has given them hope for the future and it's amazing what their future is it's it's becoming better and better by the day um, so the story of the country is one part of the story the story of grace is is the is the the most important uh, part of the story how God took this, this angry, bitter, hard heart and, and changed her through the pure love and compassion of some very poor women who were trying to just feed their families on a day-to-day basis by sewing together and trying to give each other hope. They really had nothing to hope for. they in a country that was totally ruined. They had no money. They were sewing, trying to sell whatever they could in the marketplace to get money to maybe put one meal a day of beans and rice on the table but every day, they while they were together, they sewed, and they sang, and they prayed, and they praised their God for the fact that they could do this and be together, and they brought Grace into the group, and they changed her heart, and as a result, Grace, Grace was the one that became the leader of the group and, and started helping them market their products and grow the business, and every one of the women in the group, the Sewing Cooperative, was able to work their way out of poverty. They're able to buy their own home. They're able to educate all their children, and they've totally changed the trajectory of poverty in their families. That their their next generation now they're all educated. They all have good jobs, and together with how Rwanda has has grown out of. The, the problems they had, they're, they're having great success on a relative basis. Um, the sewing cooperative is, is a sixteen thousand dollar a year business. So, you know, we cover every size business in, in the in the book, from sixteen thousand dollars a year to multi billions with Hobby Lobby. But um, it's a, the impact that sixteen thousand dollar a year business has had on these women's lives and on their families is truly, like the commercial says, priceless. It's incredible, and it's all. Because of God and the Holy Spirit and the work He's He did in women that, that could have totally given up and and they didn't they hung on to their faith and as a result of that um, He totally changed their lives.
0: It's an amazing story and there's so much there that you left out because I know you're trying to create a little intrigue. I get it. People need to get this book, Bigger Than <laughs> Business, by Jeff Holler. Go out to his website, biggerthanbusiness.com, biggerthanbusiness.com. Stories from six continents incredible stories, and we're only covering a few of them today because we're, we're almost out of time, and I want to ask some other questions. Jeff, of all the stories, which one impacted you the most personally?
1: You know, Jim, that's kind of like asking which of my children I love the most. Well, <laughs> you know, I didn't ask you that question because I know the answer
0: that you're supposed to give with that one. I love them all unequally. That's right.
1: Yes, yes. I, You know, um, me personally, I mean, they're, they're all phenomenal stories, and they all touched me in in a unique way, and I think that's why God led me to them. Um, I, I think that I got probably more out of the book than, and I'm not diminishing it for your readers, but um, God led me to each of these stories for a reason. One, because I think He had readers, other readers, He wanted to impact, but He also wanted to impact me. And every story. They all have some common commonalities. They're all interesting stories. They all have share a lot of business wisdom and they all um, reflect how these people live their faith in their business and why, why they do it. So they all have those commonalities, but they all speak to your heart differently. And every one of them. Um, touched a different place in my heart. And I, so for me to say they, they, one touched more than the other. Um, I would say that because of my personal relationship with David Green, his, you know, I, I really, his story, um, and his faith and unwillingness to compromise and how he shares that, uh, in some very difficult and challenging times in, in their business is, is, uh, is, is really meaningful to me. Grace's story, um, whenever I'm having a bad day, um, uh, I think of Grace and some of the positions she was in that genocide. And I think, you know, this is not a bad day at That's all. That's right. Grace. Yeah, you know, where Grace is. Um, and then uh, the, the, the Rasa story that you touched on, the, the, you know, the way they, they, they were honest, about how they felt the sin and, and all the ramifications, the horrible ramifications and consequences of that. But then how they, how through Grace they've risen from those ashes. Um, Really uh, is a special thing.
0: You've been impacted and interviewed people that are of great wealth, yet have walked away from claiming that as their own and just to become great stewards of that wealth. How has that helped you with your daily business tree that you call the capital chart room?
1: You know, it's, it's, it's helped me understand the, the open hands concept that. Uh, I truly am a steward, and I'm here to to re- receive whatever God has for me, and and to give back all that I can in every way that I can to Him, and I and that to give back I need to follow where He's He's leading me. So I think it, the way it's it's impacted me the most is is to, I, I've kind of doubled down on on this this idea of turning my life over to Christ and, and, and walking away from the control and uh, seeking, you know, trusting him in everything. And uh, what's, what's the Bible verse, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him, submit to him, surrender to him, and he will make your path straight. The only way we can surrender to him is if we're seeking him mm, and if we're seeking that's we for sure. his will. And the only way we'll follow is if we totally trust it. And so he's led me to things, like I said, I could never imagine for myself writing this book, being one of them. And uh, and it's been just a wonderful journey.
0: Jeff Holler, thank you so much for sharing Bigger Than Business with the iWorkRame audience today. Thank you, Jeff Holler.
1: Jim, it's been an honor and a pleasure, and I really appreciate your questions, and I appreciate you taking the time to read the book, uh, Bigger Than Business, and, and your willingness to, to spend this time with me and, and learn more about it. Thank you.
0: You bet. You're listening to I Work Room with your host Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field, but ultimately, I work for Him.